Uh, it's hard to imagine, friends, isn't it, that that was written maybe uh, 700 years before Jesus even walked on this planet. And yet, it's so spot on. shows you that uh, God is in control of everything, including our own lives. And Sunday is a coming. Uh, friends, when you think of God, when we try to envisage or describe what uh, he is like, what comes to mind? God is what? If I was to go to Cairns Central and ask people that question, what sort of answers do you think they would give? God is dot, dot, dot. Well, I would hazard a guess that some might say that God is loving or that God is love, uh, that he is kind, that he is compassionate, and they would be absolutely right. And if they have read their Bibles, they might well add that he is the creator, uh, that he is sovereign, uh, that he is merciful, that, and that he is forgive, forgiving. Some might even liken him to a loving father who is in heaven. And again, they would be absolutely right on all counts. Uh, these things are true of God. Uh, we read, speak and preach on them often in church and to the vast majority of people, even those who don't come to church, these concepts of God are acceptable. And why? Why are these concepts of God so acceptable? Answer, chiefly because they pose no threat. Yes, they pose no threat to how I live my life. They are, in one sense, fairly neutral. And we do not have to do anything in response to believing in these things. But, <laughs> but if you've read your Bible, you will also have read that whilst these and many other things are true of God, there is something else that is equally as true. And that does pose a threat. And that is, as well as being a loving and heavenly father and a forgiving father, he is also our judge. That is, he will sit in his judgment on us, on our conduct, on our lives. The Bible is crystal clear on this matter and provides loads of evidence that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and have to, yes, have to. We won't be able to say, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yes, we will all, all have to give an account of our lives before God. Now, here are some examples that speak of this in the scripture. But there are many more. From Psalm 9, 7 to 8. The Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in, and how? Righteousness. From Romans 14, 10 to 12. For we will all, yes, all stand before God's judgment seat. 
It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord. That's uh, pretty sure. <laughs> Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. From 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And from Revelation 20:12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I don't like that one. <laughs> And from Hebrews 9.27, we all are destined to die once and after that to go to heaven. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and after that to face judgment. And there are hundreds of more references we could look up all saying much the same thing. And so it is clear that as well as everything else that God is, God is also our judge. And the result of his judgment on our lives is crucial because the outcome will determine where we spend eternity. And there are just two alternatives, heaven or hell. We'll either end up spending eternity with God and the Bible calls that heaven or we will end up spending eternity without God and that call, and he calls that hell now not very surprisingly uh, there are many ideas about what happens when we die uh, some say there is nothing after life that this is it this fits well with evolutionists who, when push comes to shove, will have to admit that we and everything around us is a meaningless accident. Others hold that we will all go to where? Obviously, we all go to heaven. Some believe in a place where sinful souls go to be prepared for heaven, uh, whilst yet others believe we return to earth in a different form. I think the word is reincarnation. Now, I said that these ideas about what happens to us when we die are not very surprising at all. And why? Answer, because of what is common to all of them. Did you notice what it is? Yes, what is common to them all? There is no judgment in any of those ideas. And we all like the idea of not having someone call us to account. Well, I do. <laughs> now, the trouble is that when we go to the Bible, we find not a single shred of evidence to support any of these ideas. Instead, we read that a person is destined to die once and after that to face judgment and not reincarnation, etc., etc., and the outcome of God's judgment being that those in a right relationship with him now 
will be welcomed into heaven to spend eternity in his glorious presence then. And all others, as the Bible tells us, from 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, I don't like this, these verses, will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might forever. The Bible's most common word for this latter condition is hell and there are some very important things we need to understand about hell. Firstly, we don't like the thought of it, do we? <laughs> I don't. Whilst almost everybody I know believes in heaven, nobody wants to believe in hell. Or if they do so, they see it as a place that only the really evil people go to, like the Hitlers, uh, the Idi Amin's, the Saddam Hussein's, the Pol Pot's, the Martin Bryant's, the President Mugabe's of this world, and the child molesters, the rapists, the murderers, the really bad people. When challenged, the majority of people who have any belief in God see heaven as where most of us will end up and the thought of hell as a reality for them personally never enters their mind. Even as Christians, we don't like thinking about hell, do we? Oh, we read about it in the Bible, we might intellectually assent to it, but we struggle with it. And so we find it hard to accept the reality of it. Do you believe in hell? I mean, do you really believe in hell? Do you? Now, you're probably not going to like me for the things I'm about to say. <laughs> and because I like to be liked, I won't enjoy that. <laughs> but in the final analysis, whether you like me or not, it's not important. What is important is that you believe and act on what God says. The first thing I want to say is that hell is factual. It's not something invented by the church to keep the faithful in line or come to mass. <laughs> it might come as a bit of a surprise to learn that the Bible actually speaks of people being, quote, condemned to hell, end of quote and, quote, thrown into hell, end of quote. In fact, the truth is that the Bible seems to indicate fairly clearly that sadly the majority, and not the minority, of people will end up there. Friends, if you believe in the integrity of the Bible, then hell is factual. But it's hard, isn't it? Uh, the thought of people actually being condemned to hell uh, the idea of those nice people next door, the bloke in the corner shop, that friendly young couple down the road, your mates at the club, people at work, actually being cast into a dreadful, awful eternity called hell is very hard to accept. We recoil from it. I do. And isn't this especially true with people we love dearly? Such as members of one's own family? The thought of one's own parents, children or grandchildren, brothers and 
sisters being cast into hell is more than we can bear to think about. It is. And so we tend to sanitise hell, uh, downplay it, pretend it isn't real and joke about it. <laughs> uh, look at these slides with me. Next one. This is what we do. Next one. Next one. <laughs> and uh, the next one. Thanks, Graham. But friends, uh, it's real. And if it isn't real, yes, if it isn't, it begs the question, what on earth are we doing here this morning? Unless, of course, you were invited along and uh, a bit, uh, here a bit reluctantly. <laughs> you see, if we don't believe in judgment and hell, then we don't believe in Easter. If hell isn't real, then it follows that Jesus' death on the cross was totally unnecessary. If hell isn't real, then he's suffering, the pain he went through on the cross, the pain of those thorns being shoved on his head, the people mocking him, spitting on him, and his sacrifice were a complete waste of time and effort. But the Bible tells us that he died to save us from the penalty of our sin, to save us from having to bear the consequence of God's judgment on our sin. And the consequence, it's almost not a word today, <laughs> of God's judgment on our sin is to be condemned to hell. But if there is no hell, then why did he bother to go through all of that? But his death was not a waste of time because hell is factual. But the second thing I want to say this morning is that hell is fearful. Fearful. It's described in the Bible as a place of torment. It's described as a fiery furnace. It's described as a place of endless suffering. A place in which there is no rest day or night. Revelation 14, 11. Jesus himself says that those condemned to hell will be, what? Thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25:30. These are terrible words. But this is how the Bible describes it. I should say, this is how Jesus himself describes it. Those in hell are cut off from everything good. They are banished from even the smallest help or comfort that God's presence brings. As well as hell being fearful, hell is final. All roads to hell are one-way streets. There are no exits. There are no roundabouts. We're even told that between heaven and hell, a great chasm has been fixed, Luke 16, 26. The horror 
The loneliness, the agony of hell is not intended to purify, but to punish forever. The Roman Catholic idea of purgatory, of hell being a sort of a midway staging point between heaven and earth, where we all go for go to for cleansing and uh, purification prior to going to heaven, has absolutely no support in scripture. Uh, we often hear the expression, the bottom line is, <laughs> don't we? We encounter in life lots of bottom lines, such as HSC marks. If you're from New South Wales, you know all about that. TERs, OPs, the age of consent, uh, the age for a pension. I've been thinking about that one. <laughs> well, life itself has a bottom line. And no, it's not death. The bottom line of life is to live forever in heaven or live forever in hell. And so when faced with the absoluteness of hell, the questions on our hearts is, well, on my heart, <laughs> is hell fair? Is hell fair? Like, I'm thinking, how can a loving God condemn anybody to such an awful fate? And if we're not careful, this is where we can really come unstuck in our understanding of hell. Uh, we can come unstuck because we once again look at the nice people next door, our workmates, that friendly young couple down the road, our mates at the club, people we love dearly like members of our own family, even at ourselves. And we don't want to conceive that anyone, yes, anyone deserves to be banished to such a place. But the truth is, we all deserve to be banished into hell. The Bible tells us there is no one righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. The Bible also tells us that God is holy, 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 Isaiah 6.3. And the Bible tells us that God will judge the world with justice, Psalm 9.8. And he will condemn sinners and banish them to hell. And we are, are all sinners, aren't we? Before a holy God. Uh, we are all sinners because we disobey God. When God speaks, we are supposed to listen uh, we are supposed to believe and we are supposed to obey. Simple. But we don't. The essence of sin is to disbelieve and then disobey. I did for 30 years, <laughs> as Adam and Eve did. Uh, when God said, don't eat off that tree because there are consequences, shock horror, he, and because he's holy, 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 actually meant it. Sadly, they chose to disbelieve him, ate, and were thrown out of paradise, and we are naturally 
their children. Is God fair in acting like this? Yes, he is. After all, he was only giving them what they themselves had chosen. I, I know we bubble wrap children today in many layers of bubble wrap. <laughs> but think about it. If one was to tell their child not to touch a hot iron and they ignore you and get burnt, is that fair? Yes, it is. All the child had to do to avoid the pain was to obey you. If the child chooses to ignore your wisdom, then they bear the consequence of that. If you choose to smoke and end up with lung cancer or emphysema, is that fair? Yes, it is. It was your choice. You chose to ignore wise advice and there are consequences. If you commit a very serious crime and end up in prison, is that fair? Yes, it is. You knew the law. You willfully broke it and so you must wear the punishment. And so too with God and us. He has every right to reject us. And why? Because we reject him. And our rejection of God has consequences. And the consequences are that we will be banished into hell. It's as simple as that. And so we have no valid grounds for complaint. If we choose to live lives that deny God, apparently, according to the surveys today, 40% of Australians deny his existence. They don't believe he exists anymore. Or if we reject our need of him and sideline, sideline him into the unimportant basket, uh, then all God is doing in judging us is confirming the choice we ourselves chose. And he can hardly be accused of injustice or unfairness for this, can he? And especially when he's holy, holy, holy. So, hell is factual, fearful, final and fair. But having said that, we must not despair because hell is not inevitable. Sunday's coming. It is not inevitable for us, and why? Because in Jesus, you could say that God went to hell in our place. Good Friday was good for us, but it was a hell of a Friday for Jesus, God's son. And what we saw in our reading from Isaiah that David gave to us and what we see elsewhere in the scriptures is the anguish, yes, absolute anguish experienced by Jesus as the realisation of what faced him really hits home. He's faced with the punishment we deserve. He's faced with being punished for our sins he is about to experience you could say hell so that we won't sometimes in our, even in our own lives uh, the pain is necessary to bring about good isn't it 
For example, a tooth extraction or wisdom teeth removal. Many of us know those ones. <laughs> For example, major surgery and chemotherapy. Some of us have experienced this recently or are still experiencing it. And when we are facing such pain, how do we feel about it? Well, the simple truth is that we don't like the thought of facing the pain, do we? Let alone watching a loved one go through that. Like if there was another way, a less painful way, then we would take it, wouldn't we? But we know that by enduring the pain, good can result. And so we endure the pain, vomit, lose our hair, etc., etc. We do this for ourselves and sometimes we do it for the good of others too. For, the, for example, the giving of bone marrow or body organs so that another person might live. I've seen someone go through that. And that puts them through enormous pain. But if that means that someone we love can be given life, what do we do? We do it. <laughs> to use a figure of speech, <laughs> and it's a figure of speech, we will put ourselves through hell <laughs> so that another one can have life. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus went through for us on Good Friday. And it is this theme which we readily see in the, account, in the account of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. Ahead of him lies the cross on which he will experience God's judgment on sin. And he is deeply distressed and prays to his Father. We're told that when he was praying, his distress was so great knowing that what lie ahead of him, that his sweat fell off his forehead like, and we're told this, drops of blood. Luke twenty-two forty-four. 44. We're told that three times he prays earnestly to his heavenly father as to the possibility of maybe another way, knowing how awful this way would be. But he also says, and it shows his amazing love for us, for you, for me, and his amazing love for his heavenly Father, he says that if there is no other way, so be it. Well, the rest is history and we are here today. There was no other way which men and women could be saved from hell. And so Jesus was flogged, Jesus was mocked, Jesus had a crown of thorns rammed onto his head, Jesus was spat on, and Jesus was crucified. And why? Why all that pain and suffering and ridicule? Because you matter to him. Because we matter to him. Good Friday, as Craig said in the beginning, is good because all, in, all, in all the awfulness and agony of the cross on this day, the greatest act of good in history 
Yes, the greatest act of good in history took place. But, but it literally was a hell of a Friday for Jesus. Uh, friends, please sit back and uh, listen to this song.